Good morning, church, again. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, whether you are here in person, online, in the Youth Center, uh, at our Pearland campus, wherever you are this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, as David mentioned this morning, we are starting a new series in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, in March of 2020, or actually, uh, I would say, actually, February of 2020, Right when we realized that something serious was going on in our world, we were covering another book, if you guys remember, is 1 Corinthians. Um, and so we, about a year and a half later, we are coming to the second book of Corinthians, and this sermon series is called The Glory of the Ministry. Now, the reason why we titled this sermon series The Glory of the Ministry is because what we want to accomplish here through this series is an understanding that each and every one of us as Christians, as believers, it is our responsibility, our job, to be part of the ministry, to be part of the ministry, part of God's ministry, be part of what God is doing in our world today. Um, now, before I begin, what I wanted to do is give us a bit of a background as to what is going on in the book of, before we jump into the book of 2 Corinthians. So, um, can you help me go to the next slide? Thanks. So just a little bit of history. Um, for, the first, for the book of 1 Corinthians, what we, um, what we read and what we understand is this. Paul goes, and also from the book of Acts, Paul goes and he founds on one of his missionary journeys, uh, the Corinthian church. He develops a community of people, and he introduces them Jesus. And he says, hey, this is, there's this guy named Jesus, and I hope that you can follow him, and I hope that you can start living your life um, not as the world wants you to live, but as God has designated for us to live. After leaving shortly after, he learns Paul is given a report telling him that the Corinthian church isn't doing well. There's conflict there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's these different other Christian leaders who have come into the church and who have basically discredited Paul as the leader. So he writes a letter to them, and then he explains to them, this is what it means to be a church. This is what it means to be a community that follows after Jesus. And this is the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians. Through this letter, 2 Corinthians, what we realize and what we find out is that after writing this letter, and if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you remember our series, it ends on a tremendously high note where Paul is encouraged. He himself is encouraged by writing this letter. He hopes that the church is encouraged, that they can work through these conflicts, that he can work through all of these things that the church is going through. And then he finds out that the church rejects his teaching. Now, I don't know if you can imagine that. Um, those of us who are teachers, those of us who teach on a regular basis, uh, one of the things that we talk about on the staff level um, a lot is, especially with our small group leaders, and we're really, really thankful for our small group leaders, the amount of time and energy they take to put into a lesson um, and the amount of time that, you know, we as a staff take and put into teaching, a lot of times when it comes to it, when it comes down to it, people don't remember what we taught. And that's okay. For me, that's okay. I understand. Sometimes I'm not that interesting. Sometimes um, I, I like, 
the, the, the presentation is not that attractive. Um, but imagine this, not only, it's not that the Corinthian church re- forgot what Paul talked about, they straight up said, Paul, we don't agree with what you're saying. Right? And so, so what, what does Paul do? Paul then goes, and we find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, that he follows up in person, and he confronts the church, and he says, hey, church, what is going on? And he describes this at the beginning of chapter 2, and he describes this as a painful visit, where there's conflict, where there's disagreement, where there's people accusing Paul of being an insincere leader. They don't like Paul. They said, hey, Paul, you founded us, but you know, you're not that great. And so somewhere in between, we find out that Paul writes another letter, and the church realizes, oh, actually, Paul's kind of right about these things. Thanks. Actually, Paul is right about these things, and so um, they, they repent, and they want to reconcile with Paul. So what does Paul do? He writes another letter to the Second Corinthian church, and this is kind of where we're going to go ahead and pick up. Now, the question... Um, just to give us a little bit more context. Sorry, can you go back? Thanks. The church rejected Paul because what they, the reason uh, why they rejected Paul is because they had a distorted view, a distorted value system of what a Christian leader should look like. You see, what happened was after Paul left, there were these other Christian leaders who were... Um, who were wealthy, who were well-spoken, who kind of, who actually asked the church for a lot of money. And when they looked at Paul and they looked at his style of leadership and they said, hey, Paul, why do you get to tell us how the church is supposed to respond, how the church is supposed to act, how the church is supposed to live, when not only are you a poor speaker, but you are poor. You're actually poor. You work for a living. Whereas these other speakers, these other people have great charisma. They have wealth. They are, are, they are um, they, they're incredibly gifted and talented on all these, these, outspoke, these uh, gifts of the tongues, the spiritual gifts. You don't have any of these things, Paul. So they reject his ministry, and this is where we come to this book of 2 Corinthians. Now, we, just as a reminder, I wanted to show us what the book of 1 Corinthians was about. Can you go to the next slide? Um, and what we talked about, in his, and this is just a reminder, it's not all of the topics that we talked about, that the book of 1 Corinthians was a, was a church FAQ. We asked ourselves a bunch of questions. How is the church supposed to act? How is the church supposed to live? What is the purpose of the church? We asked all these questions. Am I just a number? Who has the final say? How inclusive should the church be? Um, what about married people? What about single people? Why do we gather? What's the point of communion? What's the point of Easter? What's the point of all of these things? And so what I want us, as the book of 1 Corinthians is a church FAQ, what I wanted our idea and just kind of a big picture of what 2 Corinthians would be, would be a, char- a church job description. So not so much about answering questions, but giving us a clear picture of what the church ministry should look like and how each and every one of us as believers, as Christians, can be involved in doing the work of the ministry. Now, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to start in chapter 2, starting from verse 14. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting from verse 14. 
Before I read the text, what I'd like us to um, think about is this. When you, um, or let me, okay, let me put it this way. What is your favorite thing to smell? When I was in middle school, there is this new show on TV called Friday Night Smackdown. I don't know if you guys know it. There's this really famous character called Dwayne The Rock Johnson on there. And if you ask my wife, um, you'll know that he, I am one of his biggest, uh, like, I, I just enjoy watching everything that he does. And he has this really famous line when he was a wrestler, and he would say, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? That's, that's his like, famous tagline, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And I was always confused because I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be smelling. Right? Um, for a while, Mel and I lived in uh, another house, and when we did, we would walk into the neighborhood of Brightwater. We'd cross the street, we lived in the neighborhood across from Brightwater, and we would walk across, and then the interesting thing is there's this kind of sewer grate that's on the main street between that neighborhood and our neighborhood. And every time we would walk by, Mel would tell me this, it smells like Taiwan. I'm like, like what? Like, oh, I guess so. I'm not saying Taiwan smells bad, okay, don't, don't get me wrong. I actually really enjoy Taiwan, I love it. Um, but what smell do you enjoy the most? Why do you enjoy that smell? For me, it's the smell of anything that's fried. You're talking about fries, you're talking about fried chicken, you're talking about, you know, like, uh, you can fry anything, fried mushrooms, fried, whatever it is. I love that smell. It just smells so good to me, and I just want to eat it. Now, I know that for many of us here, right now, especially those of us who are in, um, at FBCC on campus or at the Perryland campus, what you're smelling right now is your own breath, and it doesn't smell that good. Or it might smell really good. I don't know. Like, that, that's not up to me to find out. But I want us to take this image and just think about what is your favorite smell and hold that thought as we read, as we enter into this passage today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting from verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You see, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's saying, church, the first thing on our job description here is understanding the big picture of, of what it means to be in ministry. You see, before the Apostle Paul starts to give a list of what the ministry is supposed to look like. He says, let's take a pause and let's take a look at what this really means for you and I. The big picture of why you and I can actually do ministry. Why this ministry is a glorious ministry. And he describes this and he uses this illustration of a triumphal procession. What Paul is talking about is a Roman triumphant procession. Now as you can imagine, um, I, I didn't... 
if you Google search what a triumphal procession looks like, what you'll see is an army, chariots, horses, people carrying things, all of these things. One of the beauties of this, one of the beauties of this image is that before the general, the Roman general, actually got awarded one of these triumphal processions, there had to be certain criteria that needed to be met. And this list that you see on your screen, it's just, it's not actually all of the things, it's just the main things that needed to be, the criteria that needed to be met in order for a Roman general to be awarded this grand gesture, walking through the streets of Rome, people cheering his name. So first, the general must be the actual commander-in-chief in the field. Secondly, the campaign must be completed, the region pacified, the victorious troops brought home. At least 5,000 of the enemy soldiers need to have fallen in one engagement. There needs to be a positive extension of territory, and, must, um, uh, and then the victory must have been in foreign soil, not a civil war. See, the Apostle Paul uses this imagery because he says this, he wants to make this statement very clear. As people who are a part of the ministry, who need to do the ministry, Jesus leads because he is the victor. Jesus leads because he's the victor. The glory of the ministry starts here. See, Jesus has met every single criteria according to this triumphal procession that, is, that, that he's, he's trying to, um, that Jesus is awarded. Jesus has met every single criteria that needs to be met. You see, Jesus, he is the general in the field. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross. The campaign must be completed. He rose on the third day, completing his work, conquering sin, conquering death. The region is pacified. The earth belongs to the Lord. The victorious troops brought home. 5,000 enemies at least has fallen. We read that Jesus saved over 5,000 souls while he was on earth. See, the glory of the ministry starts here. Jesus leads because he is the victor. Jesus is the triumphant one. Jesus has fought the fight. Jesus has done all of the work. And that is why you and I, as Christians, as believers, this is where we must start. If we're going to be talking about doing ministry... We must first and foremost realize that Jesus leads us. The question for you and I, church, is this. Does Jesus lead in your ministry today? Does Jesus lead you in your life today? Wherever you are, as you're sitting there, you're watching, you're listening, you make decisions about where you're going to be applying for college next year, whether or not you want to apply for that promotion, whether or not you should change jobs. The question that you and I as the church, first and foremost, we need to be asking ourselves is, does Jesus lead us in our lives? You see, it's easy for someone like me to say, like, yeah, Jesus leads me in my ministry. I have the job title. I'm the student pastor here. Or any, ask any of the other pastoral staff, yeah, does Jesus lead your ministry? It's easy when you have the title, 
But when you don't, when it's your job, when it's your school, when it's at home with your spouse or leading your kids, your family, does Jesus lead? Or are you and I thinking that it's up about us, that it's our responsibility, that we need to do the work? See, Paul is telling the Corinthian church that Jesus, that doing the ministry starts with Jesus. And it's because he did all of the work. That he has the victory. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And that you and I, as Christians, as believers, in order to be a part of this, we just need to accept the free gift of his salvation. Let's continue on in verse 15. Paul says, after describing this triumphal, triumphant procession, Paul says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perished. Jesus, Paul starts here, Jesus leads because he's the victor. And he continues on and he says, For we, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. Whenever you go, I don't, I don't know if you've been, um, ever been to an open house. Now, I don't mean like your school open house. Um, those are really lame. Okay? And as, as an immigrant family, my parents never went to open house. I'm talking about going to an open house where you're actually trying to buy a house. When you go into an open house, the realtor who's trying to sell you the house, this is what they do. They take a tray of uh, baked cookies, they break in, uh, break and bake cookies, and they put it in the oven so that right when you walk in, all you do is smell this aroma of fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Now, I don't, like uh, our last one, we actually didn't get to eat the cookies, but the, the, the whole point is when you walk into this house and you smell something being baked, something as delicious as chocolate chip cookies, it brings you a memory, a distinct memory of, man, this possibly could be my new home. Whenever I walk into my parents' house, um, there's a distinct smell of Chinese people. I don't know if you guys know like, what that, that smells like. It kind of smells like a little bit like mothballs a little bit, but also more aromatic and not the, um, but you guys know what I'm saying? Like when you walk into a Chinese home, you know that Chinese people live here, not just because all of the Chinese stuff that's hanging around, right? Paul is describing us as an aroma that when we walk into a place or when then we go into our jobs, then we go into our families, that when we go into our schools, there is a, an aroma that we bring with us, and that aroma is Jesus. That is how Paul is describing the, the, the church and what our job is supposed to be. See, Jesus has already conquered. Jesus has already done all the work. We're just bringing the scent of who Jesus is into this world. Whether or not, here's the thing, whether or not you want to be the aroma, because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, because you are a follower of Jesus, because you have claimed the name of Christ, this is an automatic thing for you and I. 
We're able to do the work because of Jesus. He's already accomplished the, 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 the hard work by dying on the cross. But what you and I do is we bring the aroma of Christ into this world. Each and every believer. Just because maybe you don't have a specific job title. You're not one of our small group leaders. Um, you're not one of our ushers. You're, you're not one of the worship team here. It doesn't matter. Paul is telling us that we, as the body of Christ, we are able to do the ministry because we are the aroma of Christ. It starts with us. Now, what does this aroma bring? We pick it up in verse 16. To a one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You see, what Paul is saying here is that when you and I, when we are living out our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus, and this understanding that we are the aroma of Christ, it means that there are some people who smell this aroma, who experience us, and they will reject Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, look, Christians, this is what will happen. You see, in this, this triumphal procession, there's a group of slaves, of captives, of prisoners of that foreign land, of the enemy that has been conquered. And that group, what they do is they are part of this procession because there is a public execution at the end of this procession. For those who accept, maybe they get to become slaves of that country, of, of the, 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 the empire, the Roman Empire. For others, such as the leaders and, and the kings and the princes of that land, they were executed publicly. And part of that procession, after the slaves, or right, sorry, right before the slaves, is the priests who would burn incense in the streets. They would burn incense in the streets, and then the whole city, throughout the streets of Rome, they would smell this incense, and they would know that they were triumphant. They would know that their army, their general, was successful. And to those prisoners, to those captives, to those slaves, what that incense, what they smelled that incense, what it meant for them was death. It meant that they would be executed. And so, when it comes to us, when we talk about what we bring to the table, to our schools, to our jobs, to our families, the incense, the aroma of Christ. Paul is very clear here that some, to some, this incense, this aroma is the smell of death. It means that they will reject. But to others, to others, this will be a sweet, sweet fragrance of experiencing, of knowing, of becoming, accepting the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. As we were talking about this in our preaching meeting, one of the questions that came up for us was this. That's great that um, this is what Paul is telling each and every one of the believers. The question then becomes, what kind of fragrance are we giving off? What kind of odor or what kind of aroma? I use the word odor because, you know, like our, yeah, our middle school boy. I mean, when I was in middle school, I didn't use deodorant and all that stuff, right? When you go to work, Monday through Friday, you're sitting with your coworkers, you're talking about things, 
You're just shooting the breeze. You're just talking about how your weekend went. What are we talking about? What is the fragrance? What is the thing that they experience by being with you? Can they smell Jesus? Can they, can they get that vibe that you are a follower of Jesus, that you love Jesus, that, you, he, that Jesus leads you in every single decision, every single thing in your life? Or can they not tell at all? When you go to your schools and you're sitting next to your friends in, in calculus or chem AP or, you know, bio 2, bio 5, whatever you guys are taking, what is that smell? What is that fragrance that you are giving off? The words that you speak, the actions that you give, are you the type of person that only is pursuing the next promotion, pursuing a better job? fighting to be the best at the cost, at the expense of others. What kind of fragrance are you and I giving off? See, this is, as we were talking, this, this idea of not necessarily multiple identities, because that, that's a mental health thing, but we live separate, different, we, we live separate lives, on Sunday or Saturday, we come to food fair. We serve during food fair. We say, you know what? Jesus loves you. We come on Sundays and we, 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 we worship God and we sing these songs. And then Monday through Friday, when we're hanging out with our friends, we're just cussing up a storm because it, it's what they do. It's how they act. It's easy. People cannot tell that we are different than everyone else. Jesus says it very clearly in John chapter 13. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the way that you love one another. Is there something distinctly different about the way that you live your life that helps people smell and understand there is something sweet and beautiful about this Jesus? Now, the purpose of me talking about this is not to make people feel guilty, and I'm really sorry that if, if, I, if, I, if I made you feel guilty just now. The purpose is to understand that our identity, church, the reason why you can, and I can do ministry is because Jesus has already done all of the work. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to fake it till you make it here at church. It's not about what you can do or how good you are or at what point are you a good Christian. No. The Apostle Paul says it very clearly that Jesus leads. He is the victor. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has done all of the work. And you and I are just this amazing aroma. So what does this look like for us? What does it look like? In verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this. And because he says this because there's conflict. There was conflict between him and the church of Corinth. Uh, Corinth. There were different leaders. There were Christ, other Christians, leaders who were wealthy, who were well more spoken than, um, who were really great public speakers. Paul was not known for his public speaking ability. He writes this. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. 
But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. See, Paul is comparing these Christian leaders, these so-called Christian leaders who are asking money from the church of Corinthians, who are flaunting their wealth, who are doing, who are doing the ministry based upon themselves, making themselves popular by, by putting themselves on a pedestal. And he's saying, do not be like these peddlers. Don't be like these people who... They're doing the ministry, they're doing these things, but it's really to lift themselves up. Do not be like these people. These peddlers, what we would consider, they're fake. Peddlers are people who, um, I don't know if our young people will understand this, but if you go and then there's this, the, the, the idea, the image that I always get when I hear this word is a guy who's wearing a trench coat as you're walking around touring some area and he opens up his trench coat and he has a bunch of fake Rolexes. Like, that's, that's the picture that I get, right? It's a little bit different now. Like, you know, I know that you can go to like different night markets and buy fake Jordans and stuff like that. You know, it's the same idea. Paul's saying, don't be like these people who are just peddling God's word. They're talking about Jesus, but they don't really live out who Jesus is. The aroma, the fragrance of who they are is not of, of, of this beautiful king, this Lord who saved us, but it's something else. It's about them. It's about them. Paul's saying, be sincere, just like I am sincere, or not me physically, but Paul is talking about his sincerity of ministry. Church, this, he's saying, church, this is why you can follow me, because I am sincere. Look at the way that I live my life. Nothing that Paul, the Apostle Paul, did was about him. Paul had all of the credentials, and he'll talk about that later on in the book of 2 Corinthians. He's saying, you want to talk about the Old Testament? You want to talk about memorizing the, the Old Testament? I, I've memorized it all. You want to talk about credentials? I'm completely, I, I was a Pharisee. I was a Jew. I was a Jew of the Jews. You want to talk about credentials, Paul, Paul has all of the credentials. But Paul's saying, be sincere, be authentic. Understand that Jesus is the one who did all of the work and that you and I, we're just along for the ride. Now, when you think about the processional, when you think about this verse, when you're thinking, when, you're, when, when I first read this, I tried to put myself in this passage and think, Oh, where, where would I be in this processional? You know, I, and I thought, hmm, you know, I'd probably be, like, if Jesus is leading the processional, I'd probably be one of the people who are, like, swinging the incense. Because, you know, they're the priests, they're, the, like, the, the religious kind of person. And then I feel like swinging the incense would be really fun. Just like, right, and just like, that's where I pictured myself. Now, the question is, as you were reading this, where are you in this processional? Where do you think? Now, we already covered that, we, that the Apostle Paul says that we're the aroma. But it's hard to imagine us as like this kind of like smell. Right? It's, it's hard to imagine us as a, a kind of smell. So rather, I want us to think about where are we in this processional? One of the commentaries described the Christians, the church as the 
the sons of the general um, that followed off, that get to celebrate the victory of the general. But the more I studied, the more I read, the more I was, I was reading in this passage, the more I realized Paul is not saying that you and I are anywhere in high position. No, Paul compares himself to the captives, to the slaves, to those who have been captured who smell the incense. And at that point, must make a decision whether or not that smell is the smell of death or the smell of life. You see, Paul understood that it's not about him. His job, his ministry was not about him. And therefore, he could live a sincere life. He could continue on living an authentic life. Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday, Saturday through Sunday, whatever it is, Paul understood that he could live his life in a sincere, authentic way. See, church, as we begin this series to talk about doing the ministry, this job description that the Apostle Paul will lay out for us, we must first and foremost understand this, that Jesus leads us because he is the one. He is the one that conquered sin. He is the one that conquered death. And we are the aroma For you and I, you might, you might think, well, you know, Jeremy, like, I don't really have a ministry. I don't really have some place. Yes, you do. God has called you to your job at where you are at this time for a purpose. To be with your coworkers, to be with that boss that you may not like. You may not have that promotion. You may not be where exactly where you are, want to be. God has called you to be there. God has called you to be at that university or that college or to be in this place where maybe it's not the college or the university that you want it to be at, but God has put you there for a specific purpose, to be the aroma of Jesus. And our job, church, is not to uplift ourselves, not to make ourselves great. It's not about, doing the ministry is not about us. You see, in this procession, you and I, we are the captives, we're the prisoners, we're the ones that make this decision to either reject Christ or to follow after him. Our job is not to impress. It is not to save people. Rather, it is our job is to point people to the one who is impressive. Point people to the general, our king, our savior, our lord. So I leave us with this last challenge. Just a simple reminder and a challenge for us to pray this prayer every single morning. Right? I'm not asking for a lot. Just asking for us the first thing in the morning when you wake up. And I think this is really hard because we've talked about this before. When, when it comes to doing the first thing that you and I do in the morning, I don't know if you, but for me, is the first thing is I grab my cell phone. Right? What I'm asking for us as a church to do this week is to start our day with this prayer. First, this reminder that Christ is the victor, we are the aroma. Second, this prayer. Jesus, I commit today into your hands. Lead me according to your will. Jesus, 
I commit today into your hands. Lead me according to your will. Let's start here. We're talking about doing the ministry together. Let's commit to praying this and allowing our prayer, our hearts, and our will to be shaped by what God wants. Because we understand it's not about us. It's not about our, how impressive, how good, how cool, how capable, how, you know, how wonderful we are. Rather, the aroma that we bring to this world, in our jobs, at our schools, in our homes, to our kids, is the aroma of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that in the midst of, there's, in the, even in the midst of conflict, the Apostle Paul understood and he continued to pursue the church, talking about reconciliation, talking about how much he loves them, but most importantly, setting us, giving us this, this foundation, this understanding, this beautiful imagery of the Roman triumphal, triumphant procession. God, may we every single day be reminded that, God, you are the victor. That God, you conquered sin. You conquered death. And that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who have accepted this free gift of salvation, God, that we are simply the aroma. That you have done all of the work and that we simply need to live our lives with you leading us. So, God, as we continue on in this series, as we continue to sing and as we continue to worship you this morning, um, Lord, our hearts, may our hearts be convicted of who you are. God, thank you for this amazing victory that you have done, that we did not do any work of it. We didn't fight any fights. We didn't have any of these. We didn't fight any of the battles. Uh, but, Lord, you have already won. And, Lord, may we enjoy that. Lord, may we celebrate and may we praise you, God, for being a God who is worthy of our praise. Thank you, and we love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.